Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. The opening line of the film is things look very different from far off, perceptions change when you see the details. And that's kind of the main point of the film that we're trying to do is to, it's really a starting point for the conversations, not trying to answer any in-depth answers to the questions. It's just a starting point for people to want to find out more and want to look closer at the details. So that's kind of the main message that when you stand from far away and you look at science and religion, you might see conflict or that's what people often presume. And then we want people to get closer into the details and to see that it's more conversation than conflict. And so that's kind of the main concept. And I had various metaphors throughout the film to help to illustrate this. And so the first is kind of that the film is bookended with being above the clouds. That was a big metaphor that you start kind of far off above the clouds and you can't really see the details of what's beneath and what's in the the world below and everything looks very different. When we spoke before, we talked about this idea of creaturely flourishing and that that maybe better represents what you stand for rather than animal rights. Why is that? So, I mean, I think you could build a Christian case for animal rights and some theologians have worked in that direction. As I engage biblical texts and the Christian theological tradition, I think it's much more natural to be starting Christian thinking about animals by recognizing them as fellow creatures of God, recognizing them as creatures that God desires to flourish, and therefore thinking about what it might mean to live alongside animal creatures responsibly and with compassion and a care for their well-being and their flourishing. And so a focus on Thinking about responsibilities more than rights is more agent-centred. It's more about how I think of myself. And so I went on and did theology. And I was really fortunate. My first year undergrad tutor, Professor Sue Gillingham, introduced me to biblical reception, which is the study of how biblical texts have been received, understood and interpreted. Now, I work specifically on the portrayal of Mary Magdalene in Italian Baroque art but also on feminist approaches to the Bible more broadly, including in visual art and popular culture. And that takes expression in all different forms of art, for example. And it's been a slippery slope into that type of nerdery ever since then, really. Amazing. And I definitely want to pick up on the Mary Madeline thing later. So if I forget to ask you, just remind me. And that inevitable Hollywood reshape in which you uh, mentioned earlier, City of Angels. Yes. Which I think I might have also cried when I watched that. But but for very different reasons. (laughs) Because it was so bad. It was was so awful compared to Wendell's film, which was the model for it. But no, perhaps I'm being too hard. (laughs) Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage. And that chapter in my book takes us through to films like Darren Aronofsky's 2014 film, Noah, and also to things like I enjoyed that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman novel yes. and TV adaptation, Good Omens. So yes. That was very well done. <laughs> yes. The nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which very, very good. So thought I'd just mention that. Yeah, I do. So I'm going to ask you a difficult question now. Mm-hmm. If there was one film that you would suggest people watched. Oh, if there was one film, definitely. I think it's interesting that the concept of salvation is only one which you really find in Christianity. In Islam, they have a slightly different system. All your deeds are written down in your book of deeds. Good ones are written down straight away and bad ones are written down only after you've had time to make amends. If you make amends, they're not written down. 
but if you don't, then they are. Then at the end of the world, your two books are weighed against each other. If your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you go to Jana, paradise. Obviously, good deeds can include praying and going on Hajj, but it means that Jannah is open to all people regardless of their religion. Also, because Allah is merciful, if you say sorry for bad deeds, then they can be erased too. The Dharmic faiths like Sikhi, Buddhism and Hindu Dharma have a whole different system too. Their idea of life is that it's cyclical, posh word for inner circle, rather than linear. So linear means that you're born, you live, you die. How do you feel about, number one, the amount of wealth within the established church, and number two, the teaching of prosperity gospel? Yeah. Okay, a couple of hot potatoes. <laughs> like this, like this. This is good. Um, well done. This is, this is the bit everyone's fast-forwarded to in the podcast. Well done, guys. This is for me today. I mean, perhaps if I take wealth on the church to begin with, uh, Lou, yeah. you might want to pick that up and then sort sure. of lead into prosperity gospel, which is, sure. I think I kind of want to say here as someone with lived experience of poverty and someone that researches and teaches this stuff and someone that regularly goes to church and loves the church, oh man, it is complex and it's uncomfortable, right? So if mm. you're feeling uncomfortable about this, you are not the only one, especially in the current fiscal challenges. Like this morning, my church did a giving review they framed it beautifully. They framed it brilliantly. But I was pretty nervous about <laughs> about it, thinking, oh, man, we're doing a giving review, like in a fiscal climate like this at the minute. Should we start with just the definition of what addiction actually is and what in the world spirituality has to do with addiction recovery? Sure. Well, there are many definitions of addiction and it's debated in the clinical literature as to what actually counts. But in general, I would say addiction is where there is the use of a substance or a behavior. So it's not just substances. We tend often to just think about alcohol and other drugs because alcohol is a drug. But it can also be behavioral or process addictions. Classic ones would be gambling or shopping or sex addiction. But there are many, many other possible addictions. And it's really when the substance use or the behavior is causing harm of some kind. You know, people can engage in substance use and in these activities without causing harm. In fact, they can often enhance your life. Guess who I've got back on the podcast? Only Molly Acharya and Ashkundi. They're some of my favourite guests, so I get them on as much as possible. And do you know why I've got them on? It's because on the 8th of March, it is holy. And so I thought, actually, it'd be a lovely idea to get them on to talk about what it is. So Molly and Ash, welcome. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Although Ash has now disappeared. I'm sure he'll come back in <laughs> oh, in a back. minute. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a fun edit. <laughs> I think it's the story of his life Hello. today. <laughs> You're just playing hokey-cokey with us today, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> You've got an in-out, in-out. Yeah. Shake it yeah. all about for us, Ash. Go on. <laughs> And there's just two things that you've sort of said there that I think I want to pick up on. One is the fact that you've had to retire through ill health, which is going to be the focus of our yes. episode today. But also that voice that you heard from God saying, I will be with you always. Yes. I will always be with you. That must have come into sort of prominence again, probably recently. And we'll come back to that. Are you happy just to talk about what your diagnosis is and how you felt when you received it? Yeah, so I've been feeling unwell for, it would be 2021 been feeling unwell that year on and off and it finally came down to I got a deep vein thrombosis it was a clot in my leg which had actually been caused by cancer which 
I didn't realise that that's what cancer did. And I had cancer of the womb. They told me it was stage four, which means any treatment that they give you is just palliative. That is, they can't cure you or get rid of the cancer completely, but they can just keep it at bay. Topics about freedom might become quite charged if you're spending 23 hours a day behind your cell door or topics about time. If you're doing time or power or hope or forgiveness or identity, if going to prison is a sort of big change for you. So the book is about that. And there's also a personal element to the book as well in terms of my own family being in prison and reckoning with that. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Because that experience that you've had in your past with your family is probably going to be quite instrumental in the work that you do now. Yeah, I suppose it was very formative of me becoming a philosopher, really, because my dad was in prison and so was my brother and my uncle. And from a very early age, it meant I was visiting prisons and seeing this other world going in through security on the other side of the prison wall and glimpsing the edges of this other world. One of the misconceptions is that it's for the morally strong and the mentally able and the spiritually aware, you know, that it's something very difficult to achieve. Mm. And also that it's wishy-washy and weak and religious. And People are very put off by the word. I know this because I've worked with it for 20 years. Mm. People have assumptions and people reject it very easily in our society. And I think that's interesting. I've really tried to bring that out in my book, the one that you mentioned, Forgiveness and Exploration, because it's multi-layered, it's multifaceted, it's easily misunderstood, it's open to interpretation, it's not always welcome, it's not always appropriate, and it's endlessly fascinating as to what it does to help people, why people choose it, and what it actually means.